0: We're here to share Christmas with you and share the wonder. We've been doing that this last month through so many different parts of our ministry here. That was our students serving with Bright Futures and being able to serve people in our community. And we've been doing that all month long as a reminder of what this season is about, that we are to share Jesus Christ and share the wonder. And so how many of you today are in a good mood? Come on. How many of you are in a good mood today? All right, how many of you are going to stay in a good mood this week? That's, that's the kicker right there. Are you going to stay in a good mood? Not just today. You know, uh, being in the Christmas season and being in the Christmas spirit is not the same thing. Isn't that true? That really is true. So we need to experience that because we come to this season, there's kind of this odd dynamic in um, how we feel how we carry our hearts, and we talk about them as moods, which are really important, and they're an important part of our spiritual life and our spiritual walk with God, and so they are very valuable. Uh, there are a lot of moods we have, but at the simplest, you can divide all moods to good or bad, and we all tend to be in one or the other. And we know a good mood is joyful and generous and grateful amongst the many. A bad mood is negative, irritated, stressed, sad whatever it may be, full of anxiety. And there's kind of an odd mystery to our moods. When you're in a good mood, the world just really looks better to you, doesn't it? It does. I mean, not only are you happy, but the future seems brighter. You wake up in the morning, you you know, you're glad to see other people. Other people look more attractive and nicer to you when you're in a good mood. Your job, your school is a lot more fun. But, you know, really, what is your baseline mood, if you just take it all into account? What's your baseline mood in your life, and what would you like it to be? Um, So, listen, we only get to live once. What would you like for your mood to be, and what are you going to do to move towards that, the better mood, the good mood? You know, moody people have fewer friends. Did you know that? That's shown to be true. They have less intimacy with their family, with people who they want to love. They're less generous. They're more self-absorbed. Um, it's kind of a tricky connection with our spiritual life and our moods. On the one hand, being close to God's not the same thing as being in a good mood. So sometimes we confuse that. If somebody asks, how are you doing spiritually, relationally with the Lord? We think, well, if I'm happy, then God is close. If I'm not, He's far away. But, you know, bad people can be in really good moods, win the lottery or something. It doesn't mean they're close to God, right? Does it? On the other hand, this is important to know about God. God wants you and I to be in a good mood, spiritually. The mood of our heart, the temperature of our heart, the Bible says the characteristics of those manifestations are the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and all of those things, and those affect your mood. In fact, this is so deep, moods are contagious. Aren't aren't moods contagious? One way or another, they're contagious. So not only does God want you in a good mood, other people in your life want you in a good mood. That's what I want to say today, through this week, through this coming into the next year. You know, it can feel kind of selfish to want to be in a good mood. It really can be. But actually in your family, you know, if if my wife and, and my kids are in a good mood, I get the spillover from that. So do you, right? You get to spill over. That's a gift to me. So if people I work with come in and they're in good moods, man, that's going to put me in a good mood as well. And so as, as this church, there are people that are here that come in every day, every week, I should say, and serve, and they are in a good mood to serve. We want people in a good mood as they're serving, when people are coming on the campus. you know We are led in worship by people who are in a great mood. Amen, that's very important. Whoever is sitting next to you right now wants you to be in a good mood, okay? So just turn and look at them and let them know by the look on your face what kind of mood you're in. Come on, smile at them. See if you can make them happy. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Come on, tell your face. Some of you need to work on this. I'm happy. I couldn't tell it. I couldn't tell that you have joy. You know, you're just sitting there. You know, it doesn't look like it. It looks like all the world's gone wrong, you know. So if you're happy, let your face know. Oh, yeah, good. On the other hand, following Jesus is about something that's even deeper than that and being in a good mood all the time. So if I actually want my life, including my moods, to redeem by God, I'll have to die to my insistence that life is always doing stuff to put me in a good mood. Jesus came for many great reasons, but one of those is, yeah, he impacted the mood of the human race. He came to redeem us, but how he does that depends on people's receptivity to him. How is your receptivity today to him? How is your heart's receptivity to him? So, I thought of kind of an exercise today. We're gonna to look at Jesus and moods, and we're gonna look at some of the characters in the first Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bibles, it'll be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 2, in verse 10. It says this When the Magi, also known as the wise men, saw the star, they were overjoyed. Are the Magi in a bad mood or a good mood? Good mood. Shepherds find out God is present with Jesus, right? The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God. The shepherds are put in a good mood because why? Jesus is here. Then there are the angels. Suddenly, I love the word suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. The angels are in a good mood. Now, in the Bible, you hardly ever read about a grumpy angel. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You hardly ever read that there's a grumpy angel. They're they're probably always pretty happy, but the coming of Jesus makes them sing, right? Maybe the most remarkable impact on a mood, Jesus' mother is Mary. She is pregnant with Jesus. She goes to visit a relative of hers named Elizabeth. Remember the story? Elizabeth is pregnant with a little child who's going to be John the Baptist. And Mary, what happens is Mary... She comes in, she walks in the room, she's in a pregnant condition, and this is what the text says. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for what? Joy. What kind of mood was this fetus in? Fetal joy for the first time in human history that happened. Jesus is apparently a very powerful mood-enhancing force, but he doesn't always put everyone in a good mood. Another character in the story by the name of Herod, he was called Herod the Great. He wanted to be the greatest. Anybody that was greater than him or thought they were greater than him was a threat. And Jesus comes along, and Herod wants to snuff him out. And the Magi don't uh, let him do that. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, that's great, outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders. Think about this. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger. What kind of mood was Herod in? A foul mood, for sure. When somebody with a lot of power is in a really bad mood, it gets dangerous for all the rest of us. And by the way, we live in a world where that's still the case. Look at the stuff going on around the world today. Herod had what you might think of as kind of a mood disorder. A lot of us suffer from this. The idea is for a lot of people, when we think about what mood we're in, we think of this kind of association, my mood is basically a product of whatever circumstances I happen to find myself in. If I have good circumstances and I have success and I'm way up high on the scale and I make money and I get a good grade on my test and somebody praises me, somebody likes what I'm doing, I'm probably going to be in a good mood. If I'm in bad circumstances, something bad happens, I don't do so well on the test, I face criticism probably going to be in a bad mood. And we just kind of go through our days like this. That Then we wake up in neutral. We wake up in neutral, you know, you're not sure many days is going to be good or bad. We go through this day as a moody person. Herod was a very moody guy. All the money, all the power didn't make him happy. You know, historians tell us he had 11 or 12 wives and He was convinced that his uh, wife was a threat to him, so he had her executed. He thought his son was going to take the throne, so he had him executed. Herod was such a mean guy that when he was on his deathbed, it was really clear that nobody in Israel was going to be sad. So he had 70 of the most prominent citizens of Israel rounded up, locked up, and had them executed as well because he wanted them to mourn. I was thinking, if having a lot of power and a lot of money and the ability to alter your circumstances ought to make you happy, most of us live that way without thinking, Herod should have been the happiest guy in Israel. But he was the most miserable train wreck. By way of contrast, we have this young girl no money, no power. Her name is Mary. She gets visited by an angel from God, and these extraordinary things happen. She takes them, and she absorbs them in. Her heart was receptive. There are two words to notice that you probably heard so many times that I want to just talk about very quickly, treasure and ponder. It says, but Mary, everybody else is running around really active, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, Those words are, those two words are very significant. To ponder something means you think about it really deeply. You, you, what you do is you reflect on it. You know, I just wonder today, what are you reflecting on right now? Well, what are you pondering this season? What is going on inside of you today? What are you pondering? What keeps going on? And we see Mary pondered. She pondered it in light of what she knew about. God. We should do that every single day. As we read God's word, we should ponder and in our lives of what is going on according to God's word as we're reading it and reflect deeply, right? To discern what's going on, that's what she was trying to do. Sometimes people think of this phrase as kind of a hallmark card moment, like herbal tea and savor it all, It's actually a language that's used for the prophets in the Old Testament, these amazing characters who would discern what God is up to. Mary would ponder, and she would treasure. The treasure means to find great value in these thoughts. You delight in them. You savor them. Some of you are going to have a great meal in the next couple of days. Some of you maybe have already started those meals, but you're going to savor them. That's what we should do with the Word of God. We should savor them. Let them remain in our heart and our spirit that we would have a receptivity to what he is doing. We should savor the words. So as a general rule, whatever is going on in your life, your mood will tend to reflect what you habitually ponder and treasure. It could be money. It could be grade, status. It could be your health, success. It could be God who is present with you and Jesus loves you. So in the moments that we have together, I just want to kind of break down. I talk about five practices that you can engage in now through this holiday season and taking you into the beginning of the year that includes our heart and our moods and how we can be guided by God. The first one, if you're ready, is wake up the wonder and ask Jesus to set your mood. You and I can do this the first thing in the morning God, before I even get out of this bed, I want you to set my mood, and I'm going to set my mood. I'm going to wake up early and do this. So you know what happens. um, You've heard this said when somebody is grumpy and they get up in the morning, you say to them, you must have gotten up, what, on the wrong side of the bed. Well, which side is that? Have you ever asked yourself which side of the bed that is? there's a sleep disorder scholar. His name is Neil Robinson. He did a study of over a thousand subjects and actually found out there's a correct side of the bed. He actually found out if you get up on the left side of the bed, you are between four and 10% more likely to be in a better mood, to be a friendlier person, to enjoy your job or school more than getting up on the right side of the bed. Somebody's already clapping. By the way, I get up on the left side of the bed. How many of you get up on the left side of the bed? Yep, I see. How many of you get up on the right side of the bed? You need to think about just shuffling on over. I told my wife, come on over, baby, and come on on my side of the bed on the morning, right? Right? So you need to, yeah. Yeah. You can do this starting tomorrow. You, you can't do it today. You can do it starting tomorrow when you get up in the morning. Don't worry about whether you get up on the right or the left side. When you get up, make a commitment. But listen, you're going to put your knees to the ground and thank God that you have another day to live for Him. Amen. That you and I get to do that and live out His promise for another day. An article in Time Magazine, it said, Most of us keep from going through life in joy and wonder the way God wants because we swim in an ocean of self-judgment. Wow. That's true. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm not going to be able to add up. You know, I'm not at the top. I'm not successful. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. And in this, it causes us to live a life of anxious mulling instead of joyous doing. Wow. What a contrast. A life of anxious mulling instead of joyous doing. And the idea is starting tomorrow when you wake up, instead of anxious mulling, recognize This is God's day, and he's going to help you through it. It's in God's hands, and we're reminded that Lamentations 3, God, your mercies are new every morning. I love that word new. How about you? The idea is that God is a merciful God, and and it's like while we're sleeping, God was in the kitchen of heaven cooking up a batch of fresh mercy. And he loves doing that every single morning for you and for me. You understand God never gets tired of being God, you know? God never gets tired of whipping up a new batch of mercy for you and for me. Because God has this spirit within him that does this. And he faces every day and doesn't get bored. And how many times do we get up and we're caught up in the monotony of the day? The monotony of the cycle. This, this, this. And yeah, it's true. So the great writer G.K. Chesterton said, there's a, he's, he says this. Because children have abounding vitality. Because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, right? And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in it. He goes on, it is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. Every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, But it has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. That's a great line. We have sinned and grown old. Sin isn't good. Sin doesn't bring life. We have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Tomorrow morning you wake up, God do it again. Do it again. Bring up the sun. Tomorrow night, bring up the moon. Right? Have those thoughts. Jesus, set me free from my mood. Number two, be intensely curious about Jesus. You know, it staggers me sometimes how we'll come together and we'll talk about God. We'll sing about God. We'll lay, raise our hands. We love that. But we'll kind of go on autopilot when we hear stories of the word of God or other things that God is doing. We think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, skepti- I'm full of skepticism and doubt. But let me tell you something. Inside of your skepticism and doubt, we can still be staggered by the immensity of God and life and the mystery of it all. Amen. They will many times look back on the characters of Christmas and say, yeah, yeah, I I have done that already so many times. And we think, well, hey, they had it easy because, you know, we live in a day of science and modernity. You know, they didn't even have to worry about that. It's easy. It was so easy for them to believe. But when you get to Mary, there's this line, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Even Mary was troubled. She had her own barriers to faith. She was brought up as a young Jewish woman to believe God was one and God would never ever occupy a human body. God could never be in the flesh. That's how she was brought up. That's why the second commandment came in, never make an image of God. So this idea that God was gonna come and live in human form, wow, that is staggering, but it's what the Bible teaches. Another great line from Chesterton, you think about what it means for God to lie in a manger as a baby. The hands that had made the sun and the stars were too small to reach the huge heads of cattle. How can you have thoughts like that and just go, God, wow, it's amazing. We read the word, we come to church, we sing the songs, and sometimes it just becomes monotony. Some of you in this room right now, you're just bored by what I say. But God wants us to have a curiosity, a curiosity to keep digging deeper right? We lived in Minnesota for a number of years, went to college, and um, Lutheran churches are all through uh, Minnesota, full of Norwegians and Swedes there. But I read this, um, a Lutheran church, when computers first came into being, they found out, for example, if you had a funeral service, the computer could just spit out the order of service. Somebody else died, you just replaced the name, but it spit out the same order, That all worked fine until one time they had a funeral for a woman in the church named Mary. Then the next person who died was a woman named Edna. They told the computer, just reproduce the funeral service, but replace the name Mary with the name of Edna whenever you find it. It worked fine until they started to recite the Apostles' Creed together. Everybody said, I believe in Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Edna. (laughs) It doesn't sound right, the Virgin Edna, right? Right. Right, This whole idea, you know, that we should know this. People should know this, right? Um, That we can still have honest skepticism, but listen, we can be engaged and be curious about Jesus Christ. Amen? That God loves you and I so much, he came to take part of our world and understands our sadness. He understands our joy today. Amen? To be just intensely curious about Jesus. So as you read the word today, as you read the word this week to your family, read the story of the incarnation with Christmas carols come, and you sing those words, ask yourself, do I really believe this? Or is it just mindless babble? See, when you care about somebody, you're curious about them, aren't you? When you care about them, when you love them, yeah, you think about them. You think, be curious about Jesus. Third, cultivate gratitude. You know, this is kind of a crazy thing that when somebody gives me something and it's a surprise, I tend to be very grateful for it. If they give it to me every day for a week, you'd think I'd be seven times more grateful, but I'm not. What happens if it's, I get it every day for a week and then it goes into a year? I feel entitled to it. I feel like you've violated my rights if I don't even get it. Right? Right? Another great line from Chesterton. This is great. Have you ever read G.K. Chesterton? You should read. When we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings at Christmas time. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stockings with legs? How come every morning I don't say, God, my feet work again and my hands work, right? And you come with Gratitude come with gratitude. We're keenly aware of that. Of all the gifts from God that we can say, even with Mary in Luke 1 my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Amen. Amen. With a grateful heart, God, thank you for filling my lungs with air today. Amen. And how can I be a giver like you are? Number four, worship Jesus in your problems. Now, This is really difficult one of the many. You know, the first Christmas, there were problems for everybody. There were problems for Joseph and Mary, for Jesus. There were problems for the family. And Jesus' brother James, decades later, would describe it this way in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So does anybody here have a hard time with this one? I do. Yeah? Uh, John, do you have problems? Yes, I have problems. So do you. John, are you considering your problems pure joy? No, not most of the time. Right? No, I'm not considering them pure joy. But God is going to be at work in this problem to make me a different person that this problem can't separate me from the love of God. Is that right, church? It doesn't have ultimate power over my life. So I can stand up and say, okay, problem. You know what? Go ahead, problem. Do your work. But God and I will make it through this together, right? Because remember the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news that will cause great joy. Joy is on everything this time of year, isn't it? It's on cups, banners, windows, whatever it may be. You know, it is a word that's universally sought after and accepted word in our culture, especially this time of the year. The word joy. The tears of joy emoji is the most commonly texted and tweeted emoji in the world. Everyone agrees that joy is a good thing, not just the feeling but deep abiding joy, joy with legs, joy that can hold out and know that God is in control, joy that can hold the weight of this world together and all the challenges that you're going through, joy that doesn't wane when our circumstances change. Despite our our culture's commitment to this word at this time of year, for many, we don't experience more joy. Matter of fact, there's many people that are sitting here that right now, you have more anxiety than joy. You have more activity in your life than you have joy today. You have more of acute sense of loneliness than ever before, right now, while you sit here. There's an emptiness in you. Notice the angel doesn't say, I bring good news and great joy. Rather, it was a Greek term, it's a syllogism. Because of the good news, there will be great joy. Right? If A, then B. So you understand, this tells us that true joy is always a response. A response that Jesus Christ has come and he is here with us. So this week... I just want to let you know, everybody in this room will have a problem, all right? Everybody in this room, you're going to have a problem this week. So, and you need to understand, I promise you, it's Christmas week. You will not have enough time. You will not have enough money. You will not have enough energy. There will be someone who you wish was at the table on Christmas who is not there. There will be someone who's at the table on Christmas who you wish was not there. (laughs) You will have a problem. You will have a problem. You and I are going to have a problem one way or another. So this week, can you just say, you know what, I am going to worship God in my problem. When the problem comes, I'm going to count it all joy. Will you do that? And here's the last step, number five, spread the word. You know, when Jesus came, when everybody gets confronted with the reality of Jesus, they tell people it just kind of spills out. When the shepherds had seen them, they spread the word concerning what he told them about this child. You know, there's this older woman named Anna in the temple. And when Jesus was brought to her, Anna gave thanks to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She said, she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, now that is powerful by itself because there are many people that we know haven't experienced the redemption of Jesus. And Anna knew this, and she said this. So listen, I'm going to spread the news about Jesus because, listen, there are many people that have yet to be redeemed. And you and I have them in our lives, people that are around us. There's something about God that when we have him, I want to keep him, but then we want to give him away. When I talk to people about God in appropriate ways and ask, God, would you lead me? Would you help me to have a spiritual conversation? Help me encourage this person. Help me. And so as we're celebrating Christmas all over the world tomorrow, that would you take a moment and would you invite somebody to our our Christmas Eve services, 3.30 and 5.30, two one-hour services. They'll be exactly alike, but we'd love to invite you. We'd like to invite your families. But would you invite somebody that doesn't know Jesus? And here's the promise, that we're going to have fun tomorrow night, we're going to sing Christmas carols, and we're going to light candles. But one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to offer people Jesus because it's Christmas Eve, and that's really what it's all about. Right? So if you'll invite them, they'll come. We'll offer them the Lord Jesus Christ in our time. That's our promise. There's just something inside of us when the good news comes that we want to give it out that there's nobody God doesn't love. God's always in a good mood. And Jesus says, "Listen, listen, the angels, they they what what produces joy in heaven now? Well, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents." So what do you say? Let's let's make the angels happy. Amen. Let's do that. Maybe they can't come to Christmas Eve, but you're going to be sitting across the table from them. You can have spiritual conversations with people right there. Just do it, right? And so let's pray and let's just ask God that I pray today that you're in a better mood than when you came in here with. Amen. I pray that you're in a great mood because Jesus has come. And listen, Jesus' presence changes everything. It does. If we we do believe that, then it has to change us. His word has to change us.